Welcome to Dungeons & Dinners, where the love of fantasy is food for thought. This is episode one. I'm your host, Brett Lindley, and today I'd like to start things off by talking about both how I game and how I cook. Today's episode is all about recipes and rule books. Welcome! Take a seat anywhere. We'll be right with you. So when I game and when I cook, there's this one core element to each of them, and that is how I treat the recipe if I'm cooking or the rule book if I'm playing. And I feel like I really do treat them kind of similar depending on what I'm doing. So when I'm getting ready to cook a meal, more often than not, I've got enough experience in what I'm planning on cooking that for the most part, I don't really need a recipe. In fact, there are some things that I cook that are so ingrained that I don't even think to look about anything. And and, and there are other things that I may reference two or three recipes just to see what the general gist of ingredients are, because I already have an idea of what it's going to be when I finish it. And so maybe I just want to compare specific ingredients to make sure that if there's a flavor that is universal among them, or maybe a measurement that everybody's a little bit different on, that I can kind of take that into consideration and maybe even look at, you know, the style of what order of ingredients are added or what's cooked first. Mostly what I'm doing that I'm looking for things that are universal across multiple recipes, especially with internet recipes. It can be very difficult to trust one recipe. <laughs> I don't know, you know, if you've ever experienced that where you go in and you look and you're just, you look at one recipe and then all the reviews are, you know, or comments or people asking like, can I substitute this? How does that work? And, and mine came out this way, or I didn't like that, but it's the internet. There's thousands of versions of any any one thing that you would want to cook, there's just an infinite number of ways to make it, and somebody's written it down, which I think is awesome. But it also goes to show, like, if you want to make your own version, then it's very easy to go through half a dozen of these kind of similar recipes from different sources to see, you know, what's universal, what are what ends up looking like. It's the core things about these so that I can take note of them and and write them down and maybe reference them as I'm, you know, thinking about cooking it the way I want to make it. And I feel like this translates really cleanly to how I play D&D. Uh, or really just about any tabletop game or any kind of role-playing scenario. And that is that there are common tropes and common ingredients, if you will, that a lot of systems and a lot of gameplay styles all lean off of in some way or another. But for the most part, I like making my own things. Uh, I don't have anything against the pre-released campaign settings or adventure modules or adventure books. I think a lot of them are really well written. And in fact, just like cookbooks, I will collect them and reference them and look through them. But I may pick and choose the pieces that I and the flavors and the styles that I want to include in my own recipe or my own campaign or my own one shot. So stylistically, there's a lot of things that you can can kind of take notice in between these two items where 
you know, a, a campaign book, you can make your own campaign and maybe you want to use all the campaign books and stay pretty close to the story, but you want to be able to transition between them. And, and that's the same way of maybe you want to plan out all of your meals for a week, but you don't want to have maybe the same style of cuisine every night. You want to, you know, have a different flavor or a different, you know, style of cooking each day of the week. And you want to find good ways to use all of the ingredients that you have in your house without having to shop for each individual meal each day. Are there things that are commonalities between them so that you can, you know, maybe bulk buy one ingredient or make sure that you use up something that you've got left over in the fridge in some new way? And so I feel like there's, you know, even if you want to run campaign guides and adventure modules, there's always going to be a space where you've got to fill that gap between those the the two books you've got to find a space you know sometimes it's easier than others uh you know falling asleep anywhere and ra waking up in ravenloft is you know a great and and fun transition to get somebody there uh but some adventure guides like if you want to run something that's you know part eberron and you're you know not necessarily a level 20 planeswalker or don't have access to one and you're you know maybe in the forgotten realms finding a way of either transitioning from one realm to another if you want to stick really you know to the rules or finding a way to maybe include Eberron as like a continent in your area where maybe it's not exactly the rules as written it's not Eberron as written you know a whole plane but there may be a way that you can incorporate you know pieces of the Great War and maybe have Warforged and have more artificers and more steampunk things in some section uh, of your own campaign to, to be able to kind of wedge it in there where it'll still work. And blending elements like that is is a great way, you know, of, of transitioning from one book to another. But I tend to go a step further, and that is that I am so comfortable with the rules and the mechanics of tabletop games and specifically Dungeons and Dragons that it's easy for me to just kind of glance through a, a book. And in fact, I would have to say that for, for the same reason that I don't read a, a recipe book cover to cover, I tend to flip through, maybe check out which meals look interesting, possibly just by the pictures or if there's you know, I may skim through sections of ingredients to see what pops out to me as maybe something that I want to read the full recipe of. Or a lot of recipe books are segmented into chunks where they have, you know, recipes on cookies or baking or saute or meals with chicken or, you know, whatever the case may be, whatever the book is, however it's laid out. They're usually laid out in chunks in a lot similar way to the way almost every Dungeons and Dragons manual has chapters and then those chapters have subchapters and then there's tables and reference material and things like that. I don't think I've ever completely read a full campaign guide or published book cover to cover. Uh, even the player's handbook and the dungeon master's guide, or I think I, if there's any that I've come close, it's probably the monster manuals because I love love monsters and especially when you're looking for references on things like if you're building your own custom monsters or creatures finding just the 
how the lore on these things are written and described, as well as the special abilities, what the CRs are. I know there's a whole section in the DMG for creating custom monsters, but it's usually a good idea to go back and compare it to uh, be it online tools that help you calculate CR, or just comparing it to monsters that are already existing and seeing kind of where the power level lies. Additionally, maybe you want to take the pieces of one monster and apply it to another. Maybe you want the special abilities of a Medusa, but applied to a troll, and how would you do that? And so I think reading all of the monster manuals, or at least most of the monster manuals, is probably the books that I've read the most cover to cover uh, but i've never read them in order even at that even even that even though i've probably read all of the words i don't think i've ever read any publication for a tabletop game from beginning to end in the same way that i'm probably never going to do that with a, a recipe book it's not for me personally it's more of a reference guide now that's not to say that if you're a newcomer there's definitely portions of the rulebook that you should probably focus on, but I still think in the same way that a new cook, you're probably not, and it's not a bad way, like you can read the book cover to cover and you will have just a wealth of information in there. And you can read a cookbook cover to cover and learn a lot about cooking. But I think that starting out, the rules for a lot of tabletop games are dense. And a lot of people tend to throw new players just at the rulebook. Like here's a PHB, have at it, let's create your first character starting on page one. And I feel like that's a very difficult way because character creation is essentially touching on almost every rule of the game, right? All of your stats, your dice rolling, your modifiers, you know, you have to kind of have an understanding of combat works, what skills would I, you know, what character class would I want and why? What do the skills mean? What would I want to pick? Then I've got to figure out all my equipment and, and this, that, and the other. It's a lot to throw at a brand new player. And I think that introducing players with one-shots where they have pre-built characters is in a more controlled environment where they still have all of the options to pick how they want the story to go and, and kind of get into role play or whatever are much easier to, and, and a pre-built character doesn't necessarily mean that the, you know, the race and the and the the sex and the eye color and the hair and the weight are all predetermined. You can have kind of a, a dummy, you know, that a character or a player can then put part of themselves onto, right? So like a faceless, nameless, pre-built character that's maybe a level two rogue or something and have a few of these ready that way like you want to see what kind of player do you want to play as or what kind of character do you want to play as and have some of these pre-built dummies that are going to say okay we've got this built up and then maybe if they you know depending on the player's comfortability or comfort with a situation let them make some of their own custom decisions maybe allow them to pick some of their skills if they want to switch swap a couple of things out but Almost every first rogue is going to need like sleight of hand and stealth and these things. So don't even worry about, you know, whether or not they should be picking those and maybe don't let them pick those, but let them pick their, maybe one of their languages or several of their languages, again, depending on comfort level, but getting the player into role-playing, naming their character, maybe coming up with a little bit of backstory or having them roll randomly on some of the backstory tables that exist. Great way for starting a player. And in the same way that you probably don't want to start a cooking adventure 
Like if, if you're not an experienced cook, you probably don't want to start with, you know, a 12 hour bone broth or a very particular flambe or uh, <laughs> a lot of uh, very specific like flans or things that you can bake that will fall very easily. Like a souffle is probably not the first thing that you want to cook if you've never cooked anything before. It doesn't mean that it's impossible and it's very much so doable, especially if somebody's walking you through it, but it's just a lot more technical. And so starting with chunks of the rule book to read through, I think is, is a really key way of starting to introduce players or just getting them in and having that experience first of a quick one shot and maybe just like a couple of hour one shot and just getting them to experience a character and how the game plays, the mechanics of rolling dice and what to add to them is far more important in the same way that jumping into a kitchen and showing somebody knife skills and you know, general safety and sanitation, and then cooking something that's not necessarily scrambled eggs, but is also not a Thanksgiving dinner. And it getting a comfort level and identifying a player or a cook's comfort level or your own comfort level is a long goes a long way into identifying what you should focus on reading. And there are also just because I house rule and I, you know, tend to create the bulk of my own campaigns uh, or one shots or, you know, all of my monsters are custom. And in the same way, a lot of my recipes are all custom. That doesn't mean that, for one, I write down a lot of the recipes that I make and how I tweak them. And even after the fact, what I liked and disliked about them or the order that I did things, because that can matter a lot as well. Uh, I also write down my monster stat blocks. I don't just make everything up in my head on the fly. So it's not to say that recipes or rule books are useless. I reference them a lot. To me, they're more like encyclopedias of knowledge, something reference material that you go back to than necessarily a specific tried and true rules is written, recipe is written. You know, I Sometimes there are some recipes, though, and and uh, that's the next point that I'd like to get to is that there are both recipes and sections of the rulebook that I play raw, and that is those tend to be so for for cooking, I usually stick to very strict recipes when it comes to baking. So I generally focus on sautés. Uh, and entrees, and maybe like a little bit of desserts. Those are the things like sauces I love to make, sauces and and anything with lots of cheese or rich savory flavors. Uh, any presentation style dinner I like to do. Uh, but I'm not the the best baker. I don't do a lot of breads and noodles and basically when you start introducing large amounts of flour, cookies. Um, I like to stick to tried and true things because I'm not as comfortable there. And I know that I do not know what differences uh, the smallest amount of baking powder or whether the butter is soft versus refrigerated. I don't necessarily know just by my own conditioning or, you know, by ridiculous amounts of practice what the different 
types of ingredients and how much of them are going to affect a recipe, especially with something like cookies. Cookies are terribly finicky sometimes where, you know, you, they can flatten out and all the butter can ook out of them and can be a greasy mess, or they can be light and puffy, or they could be chewy or crunchy. And there's an expectation that a crunchy cookie is going to be crunchy and that a soft cookie is going to be soft. If you got a sugar cookie that's hard as a rock, that's probably not what you were expecting. And and all of that is kind of managed by some very specific chemical reactions that happen both in the mixing and the baking process. So because I'm not as comfortable with those things, I prefer to follow a recipe. Now, I will still look at several of the several recipes for a single thing, but in that instance, I'm not looking for what ingredients I want to pick and take out. I'm looking for which one do I feel like is the best written, because at least I have a good understanding of, you know, you can kind of tell after you've read thousands of recipes if a recipe has the right details and feels like it has a good order to it, or it comes from a reputable source. Uh, I may not be as apt to take a blog version recipe over something like an Alton Brown or maybe a Food Network. And that's not to say that that recipe isn't just as good or possibly better, but it just means that I'm not comfortable enough to know. And it's a little bit harder to deduce, you know, from my skill level with baking recipes, but they tend to turn out right. And so I continue using them. And in the same way, there's a lot of content in Dungeons and Dragons that just works better, in my opinion, without needing a bunch of house rules. There's already been a lot of work put into making sure that things are balanced. And when you start messing with those numbers, if you don't have a real strong background in why those numbers are the way that they are, then you can put yourself into some sticky situations. I think this is probably the most clear, in my opinion, with combat. So I do not tend to mess with the specific rules regarding combat very much, if at all. Uh, I may take recommended optional rules that everybody agrees on, maybe things like flanking, but those are still like in the book. And I, when you start messing with calculated values, you tend to throw off lots of other things like CRs. If you start changing the way combat works or how your modifiers are added or what gets changed, if you allow players to have cascading criticals like in Hackmaster, then you're changing up the action economy, the CR of things, the difficulty of combat, and also the lethality of your own creatures. Like You could end up killing your players if you abide by your own rules. Uh, and, and so... It's one of those things that I think the mechanics of a game, I tend to, you know, run pretty strictly. However, there are some things that I house rule even in the mechanics. I, I tend to, while I don't allow automatic crit successes for skill checks, I tend to, and that's when you, when you roll a 20 in combat, you automatically hit. And so a lot of players think that if they're rolling a skill check and they roll a natural 20, that they automatically succeed. And it, for me, it really depends on 
the level of the characters and the DC of the skill check. You can, you know, roll a nat 20 to decipher uh, ancient draconian. And if you're at level one and the DC of that check is a 30, because you're just not supposed to be able to get that information yet, uh, you may be able to decipher a word or two you know, especially if you have like history or language draconian or whatever, but if it's supposed to be like ancient draconian and it's supposed to either require an item from like later on in the quest, like a wand of languages or something, or just that you're trying to figure out something that you're not supposed to have access to yet, it doesn't mean that it is going to be impossible, but I'm probably not going to just let you decipher everything if you roll a nat 20 on that. I'm going to ask you to add your skill modifier and give me the total score. But I will take the natural 20 into consideration. Um, if it's anything lower, then definitely there will be a an amount of kind of automatic success. And maybe even greater success. I may give a player more information that I generally would have for surpassing the check just because they rolled a nat 20. So there are places where the mechanics of the game I will tweak a little bit, but I try to ensure that those items only have narrative consequences. And I think there are a lot of ways to house rule within certain things. So I think like you can, you're more than welcome to create your own spells uh, as long as, again, your DM is comfortable with determining if that spell is you know, going adequate for the level, have any game-breaking mechanics, etc., etc. And, uh, like, artificing. I almost exclusively want to play artificers in some function or manner. Um, and, and in most playing most role-playing games, they don't really get what I feel as the attention that they deserve, especially with how much steampunk is a genre that receives a lot of love uh artificers have just been i mean they've been in almost every edition of DD, but they're never they've never been a core class that comes out with the php it's always later in an expansion usually eberron and i'm really surprised and excited to see that for one like the alchemist which is kind of my second favorite class is getting a lot of love and uh and getting the a good look at subclasses i think is fun actually kind of leaning into the iron man aspect with the with the armor which we'll see uh what tasha's cauldron of everything does to that that i'm hoping that that's the artificer class that comes out there it's probably will be hopefully it gets a, a little bit of love but we'll see but to to not see you know those types of characters get as much love it, it also kind of shows where the rules may be a little bit weak in there's you know two not entirely different versions of item creation between the DMG and Xanathar's Guide, and that's a spot where you know a DM almost has to improvise some. And there are some recipe books that are not written. Not every recipe book is written for the novice cook, and there are some places where assumptions may be made, especially if you get into things like family recipe books. That you know, or or kind of hand me down, inherit an heirloom type things. There's a, a lot of chance that you may have to to know a thing or two about what the writer intended the message to be, rather than what the exact steps are. 
And so I feel like there's so many ways that in in cooking and in Dungeons and Dragons in regards to the reference material, there's just so many parallels. And I I I find that there's a lot of excitement and sometimes sometimes the joy as a, a dungeon master or just somebody that's creating a campaign, you don't necessarily have to run your own campaigns to enjoy creating them. And I feel like there's some excitement by putting yourself in a little bit of a pickle. Um, and what I mean by this is, uh, I'll take the cooking example first, that every single time I make chili, it is different. Now, I tend to make chili uh, in a similar way that I make campaigns, which is enough to last for six months, <laughs> and then it goes in the freezer. Um, and... So when you're making like large batch cooking, it can become even more difficult to measure out the recipe as you're cooking it, especially if you're trying to write your own recipes and you're adjusting the flavor of things over time, over the course of hours by adding a little bit more and a little bit more. I tend to know visually by just kind of dumping things in a pot, how much looks about right. Uh, it's for things like, you know, yeah, there's going to be some cumin and some chili powder in there. So I'm just going to keep dumping until it looks about like that's the right amount in there. But I could not tell you how much I measured to put in there. And it's hard to then like, you know, hold a tablespoon and dump seasoning into the tablespoon and then kind of spread that around and see if, cause it's, it's kind of a muscle memory of how much shaking versus what it looks like at the same time. And a lot of ingredients go into a chili. And every I may experiment with a little bit of just small tweaks in, in the types of ingredients, like adding chocolate with a, you know, a, a red pepper is a great way to bring out both the, the flavor of the pepper and add a depth and richness to the chili. And you don't add a lot, you know, but like either a, a chocolate bar or a cocoa powder is fine. And adding that kind of depth of flavor is not something that you really expect to, to get in a chili. And you don't add a lot. You're not adding, you know, 10 pounds of chocolate or anything to it, but just enough so that it's there. Uh, or coffee is another uh, really kind of earthy flavor that you can add a small amount of to your chili to, to really bring out some flavor. But the point in this is that every time I make chili, it's different. And I don't really follow a recipe per se, I think I follow more of a process. And I think that that process is at least for the most part fairly well identified as far as there are some universal ingredients. I'll get, you know, a couple of number 10 cans of tomato sauce or chili beans or whatever. But I, there are other places like I try to use, you know, maybe four to six pounds of meat. Again, I'm cooking a giant batch of chili. And, but what meat I use every time is going to be different. Because I don't tend to shop for chili as a specific recipe outside of some of the bulk ingredients. I tend to use it as a way to get rid of things that have been in the freezer too long or in the fridge too long or whatever and kind of repurpose those ingredients. So yeah, there's going to be some ground beef in there every time, but there may be a breakfast sausage in one. There may be you know, chopped up bits of steak or maybe a roast, 
you know, chopped up into fine pieces or shredded. Maybe there's bacon uh, or pork, you know, any number of different things can go in there and that's going to change the flavor of the chili, you know, for every batch. And I probably don't want it to be the same every time because, you know, I've already cooked six months of of this kind of chili. I want to have that kind of chili now. And that's kind of the same way that I work on a campaign. When I set out to make a campaign, I know that every campaign is going to be different. But there's going to be some different elements that are universal. You know, there's probably going to be a couple of BBEGs, uh, figuring out how all of the players are going to start together. Sometimes it depends on the group of players. They may have their own ideas. Other times, the, the tried and true you all meet in a tavern is not a bad way to start the game because that's not the memory that they're going to keep forever. The memories that they're going to keep are the ones that they make as they build out their story, as they add their own flavor. And so while a recipe that has no consistency uh, can be great, something like a chili that's different every time or a campaign that's different every time, there's also a place for very specific very highly measured recipes, and that is consistency. Now, this is where a something like the Adventurers League, to have to be able to pick up or drop in to a D&D game with any DM or a new DM every week, um, and know that you are getting or at least have a good chance of getting about the same experience, and that the rules are going to apply no matter what, is is still important. And I think that, that the Adventures League, for one, is awesome. It's not something that I personally partake a lot in, um, but the fact that it exists, I think, is really cool. And the fact that you can have pickup games of D&D is a really interesting and fun and community-driven expansion to what kind of has traditionally been a more you-have-to-know-somebody-to-get-in kind of club, you know? Not, not that that's really what it is, but sometimes it feels kind of... It's been kind of exclusionary in the past. So seeing a, a something like the Adventures League is really cool to see, but it can only exist... If you are playing with strict rules in a strict campaign setting with processes and procedures and, you know, things in place that will curtail uh, power gaming and maybe even metagaming to an extent and having, you know, checks and balances so that, you know, characters that do jump between different dungeon masters will not, you know, be coming in overpowered and the dungeon master can also quickly identify, you know, look at a character sheet and see what their points are or what their goal is and their experience and ask them what missions they've already done and etc. And know pretty quickly if that is a valid, you know, player for the Adventures League or for their game. And in the same way, I don't think that you want to go to a restaurant, especially the more well-known and the more established a restaurant is, the more specific a recipe becomes down to the weight of a hamburger patty at a fast food chain is has to be consistent because they have to be able to replicate that same exact flavor 
anywhere you go. And now, of course, those flavors can change when you get into more uh, cultural effects, but even those are still very measured recipes. So that across a whole, any any country, the same meal could be served repeatedly between different stores. And this is also true down to you know, of course, the smaller you get as far as scale, the more likely that there is at least some flexibility in that recipe, or at least how um, far it is measured, how many decimal points of accuracy there is in the weight of the <laughs> of the meat that's going into it, or the sauce, or whichever ingredient may be. Um, you know, I'm sure that that Heinz ketchup is a chemical formula much more so than it is a recipe. And that's kind of the way cooking is sometimes. But even as you move down in scale, you do get, you know, I've worked at restaurants that were fairly high scale that had some pretty specific recipes, but again, some of them ended up more as process than as, you know, saute in x cups of water for you know or blanch in a specific amount of water for a specific amount of time some of it came down to you know chaining the timing off of another item you know that the asparagus is done being blanched when the chicken is brown on one side because you're working on you know a whole meal at once and having to taste as you go having tasting spoons uh was an experience that is something that you don't get in a more corporate restaurant um, because the recipe is so exact it you don't need to taste it because as long as you follow the recipe exactly it will be the correct flavor when you're done making it um, but when you the less exact your recipe the more you have to taste it to, to make sure that you're getting the right flavor and the right consistency and of course you want to have enough consistency so that every customer at least is getting the same thing or when a customer returns they're very likely to have the same meal unless your menu is so flexible that you only offer one thing a day then really it's just about making sure that that one thing is good and not necessarily about replicating it but i feel like replication is an important thing and in the same way that you may not replicate an entire campaign maybe you will a one shot is a great example of something that you want to be something that is highly replicated and in fact some of my favorite one shots um, are things that i suggest others to highly replicate because you can trust the formula something like the great uh, sheep chase is a great formula that works really well and i highly suggest any dungeon master to go out and just google the pdf for the great sheep chase and give it a read because it is a a fun adventure think for a third level um, that you can plop in literally anywhere that there are people as long as there's a town nearby or a tavern or something if you need a way like we talked about earlier to chain one series of events to another or a filler episode while you go try to write something else uh, the great sheep chase is a one shot that can be incorporated into a campaign without players even knowing and I, it's it's always a good fun to see the reactions on players' faces as that uh, as that one shot kicks off. And the the place for this replication and the reasoning behind it is something that you can also apply to you know writing your own content down is 
you can also replicate pieces of a recipe. Maybe you want one part of it to be highly replicated, but the rest of it to not. And what I mean by that is maybe the steps in the process of you know, making sure you sear your roast fully before you cook it and always making sure you use a specific brand of red wine. But after that, you know, you just kind of throw whatever else in. In the same way that you may have a fight scene or a boss battle or a political encounter that has some hook that you just love. And finding that hook, but switching out the actors or the monsters, you can have a boss battle that maybe has a mechanic where, you know, players have to ring a bell every so many number of rounds to keep a door closed or something, right? And after that, whatever monsters you put in there or wherever that's encountered, it's basically going to be the same encounter with a slightly different flavor to it, but you like and enjoy the core mechanic of that action or of that set piece or of that encounter you want to make sure that you're able to replicate that, then write it down. And I think that, that having that consistency is going to, to kind of show up the more that you play and the more comfortable you get, the more that you will know what parts and pieces and ideas you want to take the, the more rules as written approach, as opposed to just skimming through any number of books and finding what you enjoy and using those. And in fact, I keep uh, a number of rule books from other role-playing games available to kind of steal from. Because, um, you know, for one, for an example, I, both for the art style and for some of the just wild references and interesting things, is if I'm ever stuck for ideas, uh, I will just go grab one of the Rifts rulebooks. Um, one, I'm a big fan of that kind of classic ink, uh, just black and white ink style that was kind of prevalent in the 80s and 90s. Um, I don't love it for everything. I definitely love uh, all of the modern digital, very colorful art that's produced. Uh, and I think I, I like that style, but there's some nostalgia there for me in the uh, in the old ink you know, kind of crosshatch shaded drawings and things like that. But there's also just ideas that are very different because they weren't brewed to be in, uh, you know, the Forgotten Realms or the Dungeons and Dragons universe as a whole. They were made to be in their own universe. And in fact, a, a multi-dimensional universe full of all of the, the strangest kinds of characters and combinations of things that you can get. And so just thumbing through those for ideas, while, yeah, I may not want it to be a 40-foot-tall glittering robot, uh, I may want it to be a 20-foot-tall mutant troll. You know, can I take a troll and a hill giant and combine them into some kind of, you know, larger boss battle of some sort or some, you know, encounter that maybe the players are going to find out very quickly that they can't out-damage and maybe they need to outthink or they need to sneak around or do something else. Of course, I'm never going to force my players into a position where they absolutely can't do something, but I may strongly recommend that it's a bad idea that they don't. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I think that there's a lot of place to go look out Look at other recipe books that are outside of your comfort zone. Look at other role-playing books that are outside of your comfort zone. Not necessarily because you want to make that 
specific recipe, you know, word for word, or run a specific campaign. I don't think I've ever run rifts uh, that you want to talk about complex character creation. That's one that's just I've tr I've looked at it, <laughs> but I've never even attempted to create a character. Just kind of noped out of that one. But I love going through those rule books and getting ideas from them to see. Is there something, is there some way that I can take this and kind of incorporate it in a way that maybe players don't expect? There's a lot of rules that you can grab from 3.5 and 4 to use in 5e um, for Dungeons & Dragons. So, and even further back, of course, you know, so the further back you go, some more of those have been kind of just republished. Um Things like the Tomb of Annihilation, especially in 5e, like Tomb of Annihilation, Curse of Strahd, are, are bringing back a lot of older elements and just kind of publishing them for 5e. But there's a lot of pretty easy conversions out there to convert from, from one system to another. Um, and there's no shame in doing that. I think that taking, even renaming characters and, and possibly running it so that players aren't quite as aware of what they're getting into can be helpful. Although I do want to caution, uh, especially newer DMs, from trying to run something that is a specific campaign module with that's just renamed, especially if you're going to run it very true to form. Make sure to possibly confer with your players if that's something that's okay because if they if your players think that they're getting into a sandbox game that is all custom content and they end up finding out they're playing through the tomb of annihilation uh they could be a little disenfranchised a little disheartened and possibly even start metagaming to try to break your game because they expected you know, really, it's more of a if if players are going to be on a railroad or be in a one shot or be in an adventure module, it's probably the best idea to confer with them and agree on that ahead of time. But again, consent in gaming is, I think, a very important thing that we'll definitely talk about more in the future. But overall, I would like to say that, you know, as this podcast continues to grow, uh, just going into them from the mindset that when I cook, I tend to just generally dump all of the ingredients that I know I'm going to need into the pot and check it for flavor as we go. And when I game, I may dump everything, all of the ingredients that I want into a campaign and then check in with the players and make sure that they're having fun as we go. And I think that there's there's a place and a time for saying these are the rules that we're going to follow and make sure that all of the players that are aware are that we are going to homebrew some content, but we're going to follow, you know, X, Y, and Z rule. Co rules for combat are going to be pretty strict. But outside of combat, you may see more adventure or more leniency in the way you're allowed to do certain things. And ensuring that your players are comfortable with that and and understand what they're getting into. And then making sure that you're consistent with what you're saying, that if you're going to be rules as written for combat that you don't suddenly start bending the rules for certain players or for everyone without at least confirming that with everyone first. And in the same way, uh, at least from my opinion, I highly suggest that you stick to a recipe if you're going to bake something. Um, however, if you're making a sauce, feel free to experiment with it a little bit, taste it as you go, and see just because the recipe says this is what you need, 
uh, use your own judgment. You have your own palate. You have your own flavors that you enjoy. And feel free to take some of those and put them in. In the same way that you can run an adventure module almost exactly to the book. But maybe you want to add in a splash of your own comedy. Uh, rename some shops or some NPCs to something that the players at your table are going to get a good laugh out of. Or maybe you're going to make combat a little bit more intense and make things a little bit more difficult. Um, again, as long as everybody's aware of it and knows what they're getting into, then I think that everyone will have a good time. So that's all for our episode today. Please let me know your thoughts. There's a number of ways that you can get a hold of me, all of which will be available in the show notes below. Although I am most active on Twitter at anddinners. That's A-N-D-D-I-N-N-E-R-S. I'm really excited to be sharing this journey with you. And remember that love is the secret ingredient. Have a good day, friend. Thanks for stopping by.